Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today's guest is Rachel Tugood, who is a farmer, rancher, and direct marketer from Nebraska. Rachel, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. And welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Yeah, I'm totally looking forward to this. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm I looking forward to it as well. I'm curious. I, I've kind of looked a little bit at your website and you're on Instagram. That's how my my wife knows you through Instagram yeah. and recommended yep. I check yep. you out and, and get you on the podcast, which I'm glad she did. It looks like you're doing a lot of cool stuff. But for those who don't follow you uh, or know anything about you, maybe give a little bit of a highlight about your operation and uh, what you do sure. there in Nebraska. Okay. So we raise grass-fed finished um, Black Angus cattle and uh, we direct market it, market the cattle, and um, we've been doing that for a number of years. But then through the course of everything, we we all we actually farm. That's, I would say that's probably our main um, sure. enterprise. And we've gone all organic except for our rented ground. So okay. uh, we do grass fed, grass finished, the organic farming, and yeah, it's a journey. It's just kind of you keep learning, and you know. Trying new things and, you know, you never, you never actually, you know, conquer it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the fun of it, right? It'd be pretty boring if you had it all figured out perfectly. It's a mystery, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is this farm, I guess, going back in the history have you guys and your family always been in agriculture or what's the history yeah. of your family in agriculture and maybe specifically your region, if you know, uh, when so they our, our farm, where we live right now is just connected to where I grew up. So I grew up, um, in Stromsburg. So I am 56. So I've been here quite a while and huh. farm is our initial original farm has been in the family for over 125 years. Wow. And then my dad rented this through cir- circumstances. He had opportunity to buy it. And then also some other ground, which is actually the moral homestead ground. And if you knew anything about the moral homes, the morals, Charles Morrill, he was a, no. um, he's a very first, uh, homesteader in Polk County. That's our County. He was very wealthy. He came from back East and he made this, built this amazing log cabin. He got involved with Congress and was friends with Buffalo Bill Cody and anywho, my sister and her husband bought half and then we bought half. So that's how we were original homestead. Yep. It's the original homestead. It's really cool. So who got the cabin? uh, uh, my sister. Okay. So, <laughs> Too bad. You know, well, we were we were we were living in town. We moved back in '94. We got married '91. Okay. Um, my husband did some various jobs with Burlington Northern and different things. And mm-hmm. then we always, my husband grew up in the suburbs. So we met in college. Um, I went to school at Bethel University up in St. Paul, and but we didn't date until after uh, school was after we'd graduated and. Um, yeah. You know, he always kind of caught my eye that he was the guy from the suburbs that liked to golf. <laughs> he yeah. said he wanted to be a farmer. Yeah. And so just God orchestrating everything. We got married in 91 and then moved back in 94 when the land came up for sale. And my dad yeah. was getting older and he didn't want to be in debt. So, sure. so we didn't get in debt. <laughs> yeah. So 
so in 91 is when you moved there or when you got married? Right. We, when we, we moved in, we got married in 91, moved back here in Stromsburg in 94. 94. Okay. Yeah. And, and at farm, that time, yeah. when you moved back there, were you planning then on kind of taking over the farm from your dad at that point? Or were you still working in uh, other fields? Or? Nope, nope. We were planning to take over the farm. So my dad, uh, I'm the youngest of five. So my dad was older. He actually was in World War II. And he actually was the secretary for um, General MacArthur. And it's like stuff you don't, you know, they didn't ever talk about it, but he was just uh, older, loved the lifestyle of farming, didn't want to get, uh, you know, keep farming. So we gradually took it over and yeah. And I grew up with cattle and, um, you know, my husband's done an amazing job and uh, we're just learning, you know, the conventional back then, I would say is probably not the conventional that it is now, you know? Okay. So I feel like our organic actually more resembles the way I grew up. Okay. Sure. How so? Yeah, I guess tell me cat- more about what that, that looks like. I, well, I was going to say our, our cattle when growing up, my dad would just buy like 500 pounders, mm-hmm. um, put them on pasture. When the pasture got dry, he would put them in the feedlot and feed them grain, but he always just enjoyed feeding them grain, whether they sure. needed it or not, because, uh, you know, he could look them over and, Mm-hmm. He had an old John Deere B tractor and an old yeah. uh, feeder. <laughs> you know, yeah. he just loved, he loved cattle. And I got the cattle, the love for cattle from my dad. Okay. So, and I feel like, you know, either you love them or you don't love them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I think that's definitely true. And it's funny because when I grew up, I didn't love them. <laughs> I, I was the opposite and I wanted okay. to sit in the tractor and we had them. Uh, okay. I wanted I wanted to sit in the tractor and we're organic crop farmers as well. And okay. Just, you know, do all that. But it wasn't until I actually bought some cows of my own because I knew we needed them. We have all this pasture ground that can't be cropped that right. I, I kind of grew a love for them. Uh, it was weird. Okay. But okay. yeah, yep. beforehand, I, would... I definitely was not a cattle person. Yeah. I always say when, if I die first, Ryan's going to change it all to crops. And if he dies yeah. first, I'm going all <laughs> So you balance each other well then. We do. Yeah. yeah. That's but funny. yeah, so... Okay, so then we got rid of the cattle after we were married, living in town, had mm-hmm. four kids. Um, in that process, we knew we were going to build out here. So we've been here for 19 years, but it was just hard. It was just too hard to help Ryan because it's just me and him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got rid of the cattle. Then one day when the kids were getting older, we were driving by the pasture. I'm like, you know, that pasture is just sitting there where we could be making some income off of it. Yeah. So we decided to talk to our friend who had the registered black Angus Pharaoh cattle and yeah. we bought 20 um, bread heifers from him okay. and uh, it kind of just grew from there. So after, you know, they've had a calf then it's like, okay, we got to rebreed these things. So we headed mm-hmm. to my husband and one of our sons headed to Colorado and bought our first um, Pharaoh bowl. Mm. At that time, my dad was still living and he looked at this smaller framed bowl. He's like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What are you doing? Yeah. So, but we've loved it. So sure. Yeah. Hmm. We love our cattle. We like we like the smaller framed cow that we have. And yeah. Yeah. Like they do really well. And our bulls, you know, we've had some other bulls throughout the years. And mm-hmm. I will say they do not maintain the way that the yeah. barrel bull. Yeah. Does. Yeah. No, I think that that's I was just talking with somebody. Oh yeah. Al DeWitt who, who shared his kind of story, which was similar to mine that, you know, you know, essentially long story short, we both had experiences that demonstrated pretty clearly how bulls not developed in a grazing type low input mm-hmm. system 
don't thrive in that system and you're best not to try it if that's the kind of operation you want to run. So uh, yeah, that's interesting, but I, I'll get, I want to get more into your, your cattle here in a bit, but I'm, I'm curious cause I don't have a lot of farmers on um, the, to talk a little bit about your cropping operation. And I know you, you said okay. that's maybe more Ryan's side, but right. uh, you, you talked about how, what you're doing now, maybe more resembles what you or your family used to do. What was the progression of the crop farm management and why did you guys decide to go the organic like, route and okay. stuff like that? Sure. Um, a number of factors. Uh, you know, we're probably, we have uh, a girl and three boys. So our girl, our daughter's our, our oldest, and then she's married and lives in Idaho. And we have three boys that talk about wanting to come back. And we knew we were not going to get probably any bigger because sure. just- the price of yeah. land here in Nebraska. So yeah. I thought, well, we've got to get smarter. And so we started integrating organic crops. You know, it takes that three-year transition. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've pretty much transitioned to everything that we own, but we didn't. We haven't transitioned. We have um, maybe 200 acres of rented ground that we're not transitioning just because it's a three-year contract and, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot and of then, work and um, commitment just for them yeah, to drop the lease and you lose the farm. Yeah. And with cover crops and different things, we thought it would integrate well with our, our cattle and how we run them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the more, I would say that the more we've done organic, the more we believe in it. Right. I would say we, we did it more for thinking, how can we make more income off, off of our existing acres to like, okay, this is the way to go at least for our family, you know, everybody's different. And, but with our cattle situation and, and what our belief system, you know, we have a, a faith in God and his creation. And it's just, I feel like with organic, you're trying to figure out a way to how to work with nature and how mm-hmm. to make it work mm-hmm. rather than just putting chemicals on top of something to cover yeah. up the symptom. Yeah. So it's all about soil health and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah, it's a puzzle, but you know, it's a, it's a frustrating and fun at the same time puzzle. Yes. And, and so I'm curious, and like I said, if this isn't something you maybe you're as comfortable talking with, that's totally fine too. But like we do organic crops as well. And, and I have some of the same, you know, we want to steward this land as well as we can. We've been blessed with it. We want to leave it better for future generations. And the struggle, at least that I find with our organic cropping is the tillage for weed management. Amen to that. Because we okay ryan's probably been no-till since the mid i would say the late 90s so probably like 98 started no no tilling and we loved no tilling and then we said let's go organic and what are we doing (laughs) we're just like over and over and over it's just like ugh. so i don't know it's it's a it's a hard I will tell you, my husband invested in a time meter and that has yes. been a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. We got one too. It was funny yeah. when it got here on the truck, dad looked at it, it was like, I paid how many thousands of dollars for that? And it's this little, it looks pretty puny, but it really does a, a great job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but we've done everything from, you know, like the chicken manure to yeah. the flying the fish guts sure. over aerial spraying and yeah. Yeah. pine weeding and rotary hoeing and flaming, you know, yeah. there's just. Yeah, no, yes, that's that's the part that's the struggle for me too. And it's like, I've you know heard people say, and it's kind of right, you have to choose what's the lesser of two evils. And it's like the chemical probably is 
maybe better for the land in a way and that you're not doing that till destructive tillage, but you're yeah. putting that on your food and what's that doing to the people consuming it. And then there's the alternative, which is no chemical, but you've got this tillage and right. it might be better for the consumers, but is it better for the land? Yeah. And know, then it's, it's, too is we're not big enough to do an experiment, you know, like people like to experiment with, um, Oh, what do you call that? When you, 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 you grow the seed and then you just like roll over it. Oh, roller crimping. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we don't have that luxury of sacrificing. Yeah. (laughs) Just to have a complete failure. Yeah. Well, you just got to do it on a small piece. Yeah. And we, we've tried that on like 20 acres, 10, 20 acres. And, and how is it? moderately successful. I mean, I'd say we did have a yield loss, but we saved a lot of passes across the field and certainly improved our soil. But we also gave up the feed production that that we could have hayed that rye for cattle feed. And so it's, it's, it's always a balancing act, right? I know it is my, it's, this is totally off the subject, but my, our oldest son is an engineer and he got a job, um, in Seattle where they're trying to invent the first solar powered robot that weeds fields. So like picks them somehow. Uh, I think hoeing like a dig. Okay. But they're concentrating. They're concentrating actually on. They have quite a few farmers in Minnesota that signed up for sugar beets. Huh. That's kind interesting. Of the yeah. 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 So. I'm, well, I'll be interested to see where the future of the organics go because I don't know if you're familiar with like Rick Clark and Dan DeSutter. If you've ever heard of them, mm. they're uh, they're in Indiana, both of them. And we had Rick Clark come out. I work for the Sustainable Farming Association. We had Rick Clark come out and uh, speak at our soil health summit and he's 7,000 acres, no-till organic, certified organic, hundred percent no-till. And Dan DeSutter is like three to 5,000 acres. Same thing. No-till organic Rick Clark. Yeah. And, and they're doing it. And I'm, I'm like, keep going. I I really hope you can make this work, but it seems to me like a struggle to, because essentially kind of to what you were saying earlier, you're trying to fight nature and that you're trying to make a monocrop work. You're trying to plant corn and make a monocrop or beans and make one crop survive, but you're taking out all the tools in the toolbox as far as (laughs) tillage and and chemical for, for weed control and stuff. So it's, it's going to be a challenge, but they're doing it so far. But I do think folks like you uh, are going to be the best setup to make something like that work with livestock because you can do kind of smothering cover crops and and utilize that somehow. So um, you know, our, our wheat, we had wheat this year for, you know, one of yeah. our rotations and it was probably the worst wheat crop ever. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we, we're, we're, we've been in a D4 drought okay. this whole entire summer. And then, you know, then you got no um, winter cover with snow this, you know, this last winter. So no moisture there. Yeah. And then heat's come up and it was oof death. So yeah. we're trying to, trying to think of something else to do, maybe like a one season alfalfa or something. I don't sure. know. Yeah. Oh, we love our sorghum sedan grass cover crops for annual covers. Those are phenomenal for livestock raising. Anyway, they produce a lot of feed and, uh, they just keep growing and they don't lose quality all summer. So if you have other grass, you don't have to worry about getting on top of it without it going ranks and stuff. So yeah, I don't know, but, uh, Cool. Okay. So yeah. organic crops and I, and I like your value on, on land management and stuff. I appreciate you sharing that. Cause yeah, it um, is a, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about how we actually started this whole thing. Please. Um, so we were conventional, we were no-till and then, uh, 21 years ago, this January, we went to visit, um, a missionary who was a veterinarian in Africa. Okay. So we're, we're driving along and from the airport, 
airport to get to their destination was it's so rocky and dirt it took about five to seven hours to get there and it's like desolate and their farm you know the the main occupation was the women are farmers but you know everything's by hand and they're sure. burning the whole side and everything's just like dirt and it's super depressing until we got to our missionaries i'm gonna get choked up <laughs> farm is beautiful oasis it's like yeah. all this green grass cattle everything and we said what in the world are you doing he's like he handed us a book called joel salatin family friendly farming mm-hmm. and it was just like that is what christ is is yeah. a light it's like just your farm that's what we want we want, we want our farm to be a light to a you know a dark world yeah yeah i love that kind of so that kind of so got us on the getting back into cattle rotationally grazing yeah you know trying to just steward the land not use the land but yeah. steward the land yeah. And that's well, no, that's incredible. I, I love that. And and it's so cool that just the perspective of this is more than just a vocation. It's more than just a job or something that we can enjoy selfishly because it's fun to drive equipment and you know work on the land, but it's something that we can do to serve God. That is a you want us to do well and we just feel feel like with this, yeah. you know, you can yeah. see it in the soil. It, it does get better when you when you do it correctly. Yeah. 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 That, and it's, it's just cool too, because we're following the principles that he laid out. We're trying right? to, yeah. yeah. You know, because of sin, it's gotten all muddled, but you know, there is yeah. a mystery to unlock it and we'll never get there, but we are, every time you learn something, you realize you don't know anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's the, what is it? The more we learn, the more we realize we don't know, or the more we know, yeah, the more, exactly. we, the more yeah. you know, the more you don't know. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But well, that, cool. well, that was such an encouragement to us because he could really, I mean, he was making hay. It was like a small property, but mm. it was just beautiful. And he actually would um, teach those methods. Then he would hold clinics at uh, his vet clinic and, and teach the Joel Salatin methods to other wow. farmers. So it was really cool. Well, that's cool because and kind of a, a, a note to the listeners here, something to look forward to just yesterday, actually, Joel confirmed to do a podcast with me. Oh, so I'm pretty nice. excited to get him on. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'll have to share yeah. this. I, that that That's one of my favorite questions for those people or just thoughts. Yeah. Some of these people had such an impact on the world. And that's yeah. a beautiful story. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Um, so I guess let, let's take it from there. You got this book, you realize there's something more than just farming. What were the some of the first steps you did on your farm to really start implementing some principles and I guess where maybe where have you come from or come to from uh, there? Well, I guess, hmm, yeah, it's been a while. So <laughs> 21 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. sure that's fair. <laughs> so um, I guess it started with then coming home, seeing this pasture, just sitting there, you know, mm-hmm. that we could maybe utilize it better and, you know, the, the principle is you can, if you manage your, if you have smaller frame cattle on grass and you manage that grass, you actually can have more cattle on that amount of grass, you know, and actually get more income off of a smaller plot, I guess, mm-hmm. or, or paddock. Yeah. So we started with that um, and just rotationally grazing. We purchased those first 20. Um, and then through the years, we were just selling our we were growing our herd and then selling our cattle, our calves, you know, to other actually grass fed finishers and different mm-hmm. people. And then it struck me like, why are we doing that? Like, why don't we 
finish them out ourselves because we know exactly then what we'd be putting into them, what, exactly what our customers needed. Because you hear some people who are like claiming grass fed, but they were like finishing on grain. And then the whole thing is so confusing. And to be honest, my kids were getting, starting to get older. And I'm looking at myself like, hmm, like what am I going to be doing when our, all of our kids are gone? I don't want to be a mom that's like feels aimless, you know, like I am totally Ryan's right hand person when it comes to farm. I'm not, I, I love being on the farm. I'm not, I don't have, I don't get anything out of, you know, hooking up a tractor and sure. yeah, yeah. figuring out the yield monitor. You know, sure. I, I like my, I like the cattle. So mm-hmm. that is kind of why I wanted something that I could keep doing even after our, like my lifestyle isn't going to change just yeah. because my kids left. Sure. So I love it. I, I love doing hospitality. I love having people in our home. I love, we have a bar and we do lots of events and parties. And I think just like, I love making food. And so when I'm cooking food, it's like, the, it's a way you kind of show love to the people. And I think even with transitioning that to packaging the beef, it's like, I know exactly what this cow ate and I know exactly what this person is going to be eating. And I love packaging it and selling it to them and saying, I hope you love it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I, I love, I love doing that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, so you, you kind of said the farming is the bigger, maybe income piece of the farm. What it, mm-hmm. the, the cattle, uh, it, you had pasture and already existing and it was right. kind of being unutilized. Correct. We had, uh, yeah, we had just a small, probably, I think it's like 25 acres. And then we actually took some farm ground out of, uh, production and put it into pasture in that following year, Ryan. Okay. Planted seven species mix um because it was uh along a river with a big peninsula so mm. when he turned like he was constantly turning his sure. implements and it was yeah. like he was you know harvesting four acres at a time he could you know done a lot more in yeah. that amount of time so mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we actually just you know cut a line through there and so it's all along the river and then along the peninsula that we added okay. i think it's probably like another 16 acres. And then we have actually a 75 acre field, but a nine acre pond actually on it. And then oh, wow. another 25 acres of grass. And okay. that one, I will say it's, it's a native uh, prairie and it's hard to rotationally graze on a nine acre pond. So mm-hmm. I will say mm-hmm. that one has kind of just, we put it, it's actually for like a late summer grasses. So we try to just hold off, let them in there one time and then just take them off. Yeah. So we haven't figured that whole pond thing out yet. Yeah. They just swim across to the other side. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know I've watched some YouTube videos Greg Judy does of like how he builds, like, I think he fences them out, but he makes like little inlets into the pond with rock pads and stuff. And I'm like, we've always had everything on like well water and pipeline. So that makes life so much easier to water off of. And, and the reality is my husband's busy. So I'm the one that's doing the putting out reels and, you know, I was to be honest, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Fair. Other things cool. to do. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. just let them have it all, you know, and probably keep them on there for three, four weeks and then we just take them off. Sure. Cool. No, that, that makes sense. So on the, the home farm, then when you started, did you dive right into kind of some sort of 
rotational grazing system or did that take a little while to kind of figure out? Um, we did dive into it after that. By the time we purchased the cattle, the, the 20 head. Yeah. Then we did start implementing it right away with, you know, we went to lots of, I'm trying to think, even think of some of the seminars we went to, but you know, there's always, you can always learn from YouTube videos and, you know, I think we bought all of our fencing from premier fencing and mm -hmm. still using them. And I'm just getting irritated yesterday because they're all broken, but you know, they're <laughs> so when you gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta invest a little bit into our, our fencing, but sure. yeah. And that's another thing is that we, you know, it is all electric fence. We do not have any permanent fence except for maybe alongside a road. So okay, we're, really? all, we're all electric. Yeah. Like polywire or, uh, the metal. Okay. So, okay. High tensile. Like, sure. Like, like when we put down that peninsula, like when we shot, you know, cut a line, that's yeah. still metal electric. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I see. Cool. So you said right away you were selling beef or selling kind of calves to finishers. Yeah. Um, when did the direct marketing come into play and how did you start that? And maybe also, I, I didn't ask this specifically, but where are you located? Are you close to some major population centers or? Well, we are located in Stromsburg, which is like two hours from Omaha, okay. about an hour or so from Lincoln. But we do all of our processing at the Wahoo Locker, which is relative, it's a good hour from here. So it works well for a lot of Omaha people. Sure. Um, but I will say like, you know, we're in the middle of corn country. We're not, we're not Western Nebraska. We're more central Eastern Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely corn fed cattle, you know, so we're, we're targeting, this is our, we've, we're completing our seventh year mm -hmm. for, you know, marketing, sure. but we're definitely a niche market. You know, yeah. we're, we're concentrating more on the people who see it as a health, health value, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people that aren't connected to the farm and you want to explain the whole journey to them. So, you know, it's, it's not local, I would say, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there are some local people, but it's mostly out of, you know, we, we do nationwide shipping and then okay. mostly Omaha is our biggest. Wow. Okay. So as far as the actual stuff you sell, are you marketing quarters, halves, holes? Are you marketing in yeah. individual cuts, yeah. Uh, yeah. everything in between? Yes. In fact, that has worked out extremely well. And I don't know how it, I, I've gotten to a situation where I can say like in January on our website, I would say like, this is how many I have for June, July. I've always pre-sold like last week, like this year we did 40 head. Mm -hmm. And wow. I had them all pre-sold by March. Wow. That's so, incredible. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's just a trick of like, well, first of all, you got your list of your existing clients. So, you know, yeah. you call them all. And then, um, I don't know, I think it's just word of mouth. And then the whole COVID thing hmm. totally threw a wrench in it because back in 2020, I was sitting there waiting to pay our bill for you know, some of our, that we had produced. And this guy was like, you're telling me I can't get in, you know? And so I, I marketed how estimate how many we would have through 2024. Wow. Because our butcher was so locked up, you know, you were so locking, locking up butcher dates four years in advance. Yes. I've wow. locked it 2024. <laughs> That's incredible. And now, and now, but now they, they've, you know, obviously it's relaxed. And so you can kind of, sure. you know, 
you can tweak play around with them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So did you, were you booking out significantly more than you were selling at that time then? Uh, no, because our herd is only so big. We only have sure. like uh, 50, maybe 50, 52, I don't okay. know, yeah. mamas. And then so, mm-hmm. uh, it's, and then right now, to be honest with you, it's kind of hard to know what to do because the cattle market is so high. Like, mm-hmm. do you want to spend a whole another year finishing this cow on yep. grass? <laughs> or you can get almost like $2,100 for right now yeah, or whatever. I think yeah. it, I think we just heard on ag day today that it's like $200 per hundred. Um, for the, finished beef. Yeah. That was yeah. the report. Yeah. So figure 200 and you yeah. know, it's a hundred pound cow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, the, that's another predicament. Like, do we want to, what do we want to do? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good question. Cause I think there's probably, uh, if I think I'm thinking about that, you're thinking about that. There's yeah. probably a lot of listeners who are direct marketers thinking about that. What are your thoughts on it? <laughs> Cause that's the real, I mean, we, like I said, we buy a lot of beef too. So yeah. you, you necess- you don't have to buy the beef at the high price right now, but you're kind of buying it by not selling it. So, right, it's, right. but it, for us, okay, it's like, good. if we're looking at paying significant yeah prices per pound hanging weight just to turn around and sell it hope to have any margin in it i mean it's tough i know i know it is tough there's so many issues with it because again right now all of our kids are like our youngest is in college so it's Mm -hmm. just ryan and i so i'm like how do we simplify our life and the reality is uh well we don't know yeah <laughs> we, we did buy a hay feeder i'm super excited i think it's called a husker hay feeder okay. it's like a gr- hay grinder that just sure. you know, grinds it and shoots it out yeah so we're excited about that but um yeah because i love our customers and i love doing mm-hmm. this i don't know and it's tough and like if you look at it from a short-term perspective of yeah it's probably going to be easier and make me you know better, better return to just sell them this year but in three or four mm-hmm. years when the prices are back down Right. And all of your customers have moved on to somewhere else to source their beef. Now, well, I've even toyed with the idea of like maybe we should get rid of our cows and calves and and just buy the five hundred pounders. But again, like you yeah. said, I don't think we're going to be making anything doing that. So then, like, oh, yeah. maybe we should hire somebody yeah. to help us calve them out, or we don't yeah. calve out. Which is, I love the idea of we don't calve out till April. But I do That's... understand why people don't do that because you, if you calve out in January, you get it done and then you start farming, but we, for some reason, like to do it both at the same time. (laughs) Sure. Yep. Nope. We're in the same boat. Yeah. Well, lots to think about just because, yeah, that's, it's tough because too, you could probably, if you got rid of your cows, finish significantly more and serve more customers, but is that, would you rather spend your time doing that? Your margin. Yeah. 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 Um, no, it, I don't know the answer. So when you figure it out, you can let me know. I think we're not the only two that are in the predicament, but yeah, Yeah. we had like, you know, we had like 40, we have like this year's yearlings. I think we had 40, but we did call out and say like, okay, what are our top? I think we had like 42. It's like, what's our top 35 that I think would look at, you know, look like they'd be good grass fed finish. It's more about, I mean, it's, have you heard of uh, Steve Campbell, tailor-made cattle? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's like, you know, you're looking at the confirmation and just you kind of can tell mm-hmm. exactly maybe what would make a good um, grass-finished animal. You know, mm-hmm. the confirmation has a lot to do with it as well. So you kind of yeah. go through there and 
sort. And then I think we're going to do one more call. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. that's a big dilemma because it's hard mm-hmm. to make long-term decisions on short-term yeah. uh, information. And right now the short-term obvi- obvious answer seems to <laughs> not be maybe finishing, right. but right. yeah. Yeah. And you got to decide to what you want to do long-term. If this marketing is something you want to do long-term, then you don't want to give up on it right now. But hmm. right. And I do love, you know, it just enables me to have connections with people I never would have had connections with before. And yeah, I I love the opportunities that agriculture gives me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started seven years ago, building your market, then how did you go about building it? Okay. So our first year we did four and I called my friends said, Hey, yeah. (laughs) So I basically called them. And they said, yeah, we're interested in their beef. You know, it's grass-fed, grass-finished. And then, uh, yeah, just calling. It's a very slow process, you know. And then I thought, well, maybe I could do seven. So then I did sure. seven next year. And then I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could do 10. And then it was 15. And then it's then I'm like, yeah. okay, I think I could do 25. So I didn't have a website at the first. So that didn't come in until later, a few years later, where I thought I need to start shipping, but it's such a huge learning curve, you know, on how to, how to do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so basically it was pretty local. Well, all actually all the whole halves and quarters are local. I don't sell that okay. amount worth online. Yeah. It's all, you know, within two hour, probably radius. I just want to take a moment here and say that if you're trying to build, or you're interested in building a direct market business, similar to what Rachel's doing, you need to have a good online presence. Valerie, my wife and I, what we do is we use Barn to Door and we've been using them now for over three years. They really make it easy for us to manage all of our sales, both online and in person. And since we're not selling through anyone else, we're cutting out the middlemen and we make better margins as well. Uh, Barn to Door has helped us increase our sales for our barn business. And if you're looking to build a successful farm business with best-in-class training and support, I'd encourage you to check out Barn to Door. You can go to barntodor.com forward slash herdquitter where you can learn more about the success we've had with our business. And if you choose to sign up with Barn to Door, you'll also receive a free academy session. That's a $99 value. And again, that website is www.barntodor.com forward slash herdquitter. You can check out the link in the show notes. But for now, back to the conversation with Rachel. Um, yeah, it's just word of mouth and the Facebook. And then I've kind of ventured into Instagram and, and I don't, I don't do anything with like ads or anything for Instagram. So I don't know really how much I'm getting from that. And I, but our website and the, I think people Google grass fed beef and then yeah, <laughs> our name comes up. Well, there's more and more and more competition in that market. It seems like, so it's, yeah. I, but there's also more and more people wanting to get into it. I, I don't know if the trend has continued, but it wasn't too long ago when I think it was one of the highest rate of growth, huh. you know, like, and I, I could be wrong, but for some reason, and this is totally, for some reason, the number like 25% sticks in my head, like the consumption of grass-fed beef was growing by 25% oh, per wow. year or something like that. Wow. So I don't know yeah. if that's true or not, but for some reason that, that number is in my head right now. So either way, wow. it was growing quite rapidly. Yeah. And if that trend continues, then I guess maybe there are more people buying than uh, producers getting into it, but it does seem like so many people are getting into the market too. So the fact that you were able to grow as rapidly and as well as you have in primarily just word of mouth, kind of a business model is pretty impressive. And I think, uh, 
that whole growing thing, which is kind of a, a whole different topic, but, yeah. you know, I think people are, cause people are concerned about how the animals are raised mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. I, like, I think, you know, one lady uh, called and she was very sad that that was the day her cow was going to, yeah. to market. Yeah. And, um, but I feel badly because all farmers, no matter if you're corn fed, grass fed, I mean, mm-hmm. you realize that this is what is going to enable you to make a living. Yeah. And so why wouldn't you take care of it? So I think there's just a lot of misconstrued ideas about the farmer. And that's kind of, you know, I, I pray like, Lord, what can you use me for? And it seems like, I don't know, I'm kind of like voicing my opinion about, uh, you know, just the way animals are treated and, and then it's not this horrible scene that seems to be out there. I don't, yeah. We've, uh, we grew up farmers. We have lots of families who are farmers and, and so it upsets me when people seem to think that there are, you know, you guys are doing it right and everyone else is out there trying to do everything wrong. I mean, we talked about it with the organic crops and stuff, how, you know, we love what we can do with organic as far as like food quality and stuff, but there's another side to it and that's the tillage and like nothing is quite as, nothing's quite as black and white as it seems. There's plus pros and cons to every, everything. And so how can we just, we've kind of been in the mindset of let's just share our story and share what we do and the people who believe in it and want to support it, you know, come join us. We're not going to use our, our brand or anything to try and tear down another farmer who's doing exactly. their best too. And you're not, you know, if, if we were all created the same or doing the same thing, I mean, it'd be kind of boring. And so, yeah, if, you know, yeah. God's created us with different uh, interests and, you know, not everybody's organic and that that's totally fine. And nobody, yeah. I base grass fed, grass fed is totally fine. I mean, I grew up on grain fed, yeah. grain fed but, yeah. and, you know, we decided to send our kids to Christian school rather than public school. So that mm-hmm. whole, you know, the herd quitter mentality is definitely <laughs> yeah. been a part of our life. Yes. I feel like every, every, every uh, facet of it, but I, I kind of had a new thought about, um, like pioneering. It's like, if you want to be a pioneer, you definitely are going to get shot at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, yep. That's just life. Whether you're getting shot at with, you know, weeds as organic farming or, you know, something's always going to try to get you down just you know but if you feel like this is the direction you should go i mean you should you need to you need to do it yeah yeah that's well said that's that's a good way to put it i, there's, I think there's joy in the about. journey you know there's joy yeah. in the journey not necessarily always the outcome but yeah. the journey's been good yeah good yeah. good yeah i joke my dad trained me for that kind of a mindset because he uh we're in a world full of Ford and Chevy pickup trucks, John Deere and case tractors and conventional crop farmers and beef feedlots. We were yeah. the ones with a Toyota pickup truck, a McCormick oh, yeah. tractor, organic yeah. crops and grass fed cattle. So I was I trained know. from birth to, to be a herd quitter and get exactly. used to it. Well, yeah. we, we actually just purchased a fence. I'm like, I think we're the only nice. fence tractor in probably a whole well, county. I think there's, there's more and more in our area. So you're on them. the right track. As yeah. long as you have yeah. service close by, that's probably. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, it's yeah. good. You got the five-year plan. So that's good. Good. <laughs> then you're set. Yeah. Cool. Um, is there anything else on the, on the marketing, I guess, uh, the tips that you've found to be helpful or thoughts you have that are worth sharing? Uh, I think when the customer calls, you just take the time. Yeah. 
you know, they legitimately want to know. They want to know. And the more I talk to people again, I realize how removed people are from agriculture and to get them to understand that no question is a dumb question and, um, invite them to your farm. You know, uh, we've had a couple, you know, people take us up on that. You know, I do want to do like an event or, you Mm -hmm. know, something that people can come and visit, but, um, yeah, I think just be real and be honest with them and in your struggles. And I, you know, they, they can buy beef wherever they could buy it at whole foods. They could buy it, Mm -hmm. you know, Walmart, but they actually want to buy it from a person that they trust and respect. And I think when you are just an honest person that takes the time, it makes them feel at home, even through a phone call, Mm -hmm. I think they're going to, they're going to be your customer for a really long time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's just marketing, you know, we're not big and I don't want to be big. I I just Mm -hmm. like being an intimacy with not only with our cattle, because you do, I mean, when you have a smaller herd, you can walk through them and you can look at each one and they look like, and if they're getting sick or anything with your customers, you, you can get to know them and yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious. And and if this is getting too personal, feel no obligation to share, but I'm curious because I think what you said there about, you know, being big, not needing to get big and stuff is interesting because you said you have a herd of around 50 cows. You sell about 40 head of beef a year. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you're willing to share maybe, maybe how many acres roughly that takes, how many hours roughly that takes and roughly how much gen- income that generates in, in this system, okay. because I think it's pretty cool what you can do on a relatively small scale when you build a, a brand that you can charge a fair and premium price for. And, and it's, it's kind of pretty cool. So what, what, what question would you like me to answer first? I guess all, let's just start with your actual herd and stuff, herd numbers. I mean, yeah, 50 acres on or 50 cows on how many acres, how much time a day, you know, is that something you can manage by yourself in a year without much hassle? Okay. okay. Um, 50, yeah. So we have 50 cattle right now. We have like, you know, 50 around the, in the fifties yeah. cows that are being, we need to pull the bowl out next week, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, two bulls, actually we did two bulls, but, uh, so we have those with their, they still have their calves on them. They're this year's calves on them. Then what we'll do is we'll take those off. We'll probably cut this, um, bull calves, keep them on the moms for a little while for just the stress level Yeah. and take them off and we'll pay them along probably with our, uh, 35, we'll probably put them all together and hay them for the winter. And our hay is actually certified organic hay mm-hmm. field. And so we'll do that. And then, so we're running, we have, I'm just trying to count the acres. We have 25 acres at my mom's, um, about 70 some acres. So, and then another 25 acre, another 16, and then another six acres. So I don't know, what would that be? Somewhere around 150. I might have lost count. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had extreme drought. So yeah. yeah. But okay. I will back up. The one that we made a peninsula in the pasture that is under irrigation. Okay. So that's total life. Yeah. And then um the one that's right north of our house, the six acres, that was our finishing pasture at the time mm-hmm. before we put it in that other pasture. 
So, um, cause that, that one actually Ryan had planted as well. So it's just a mix, a big species variety of species. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're doing that. We have I won't say that we haven't hayed them during late summer because we did run out of grass. Sure. Um, we tried the whole bale grazing on grass and that's still a mystery of how that works well because okay. massive weeds come up. Sure. <laughs> So I, you know, that's one thing I'd like to ask Joel Salton is like, how do you do this? But interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because okay. we had, to, like, I think it's like a ragweed or something yep. that's massively. So then we started thinking, well, maybe it was, you know, we've had manure spread on from um, another farmer on that pasture one time. And like maybe just it was weedy. Hmm. Manure. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Or, well, we found when we bale grazed that the next year, you may, we do get some weed pressure, but it seems like every year after that is significantly better. And I don't know if, if you go back to those areas two years yeah. later, do you still see the weed pressure and lack of production or something? Yes. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that that area right this year, we did not, <clears throat> sorry, rotationally graze that area. Okay. Sure. So and what, another thing that we do struggle with is all our pastures are right around us, but our pastures, you have to go through crop fields to get them there. Okay. So a lot of like unrolling polywire, yeah. getting them to go across the road and praying yeah. that they don't go through the corn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So it's not as easy as just, you know, opening, yeah. you know, that it's definitely a, within a mile. That's all those mm -hmm. pastures are around. That area, okay. So. Yeah, yes. you know, that, so is, that I, does make things would, a little more complicated when they're not yes. contiguous. Yeah, and I, I would say that this year, um, the 40 is in another pasture a few miles away from us. So they have not been on the rotational of these sure. local pastures. Yeah. So, and I will say that I feel like 50 is pushing it with this drought. Yeah. I mean, okay. It just, sure. It's just, we've had 11 inches of rain since January, so. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's, it's okay. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but on an average year, you're able to raise roughly 50 cows and 40 finishers yeah. and your replacements on maybe 150 to 200 acres. Yes. Okay, cool. And as far as labor per day, like you're able to manage these for the most part, with the exception of cattle working days by yourself. Yes. It's always easier if my husband's with me. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we have to move them from one pasture to another, there's definitely, you know, us two plus, you know, whoever yeah. somebody's home, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely doable. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And then do you mind with the direct marketing then, do you mind sharing kind of roughly what you can generate as far as revenue on that? Well, right now, you know, we have to put in all of our hay costs. We yeah. haven't done that for this year, you know, okay. it's gone up significantly as yeah. well, but mm -hmm. I, I would say our input you know, and I don't know if you want to, you know, put in the cost of your pasture land or anything, but it is when you grass fed finish, it is roughly, you know, we don't have the grain, um, expense. Mm -hmm. So like this year, you know, I'm selling, I probably getting a little over 3000 per cow. Wow. Cool. But yeah. then, um, and then, so like if I, when I'm marketing though, with our package, you know, I do have to keep in mind, I'm paying the locker, which is quite expensive. Sure. Yeah. The, the time, the hauling, and then paying mm -hmm. for the, the packaging, yeah. you know, it does get to be a little expensive, but, um, 
it's definitely not a, it's definitely not a, um, I'm adding to our farm income. I don't think we could be depending on our farm income yeah. Yeah. at this point, unless, unless we diverged, you know, and did more just, uh, getting our cattle herd bigger and maybe not doing all grass fed finish, but supplementing that with some just replacement cattle that you could sell to somebody or, sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and it's hard to know exactly, you know, we're, I didn't prep you to come in with your gross margins per animal yeah. or anything like that. So there's <laughs> zero pressure. I just help. I just, and that's, work. that's fine. I, I, uh, I just think it's cool. Cause you, you talked about, you know, you don't need to get bigger. And I think everybody in agriculture tends to have a mindset of bigger, bigger, bigger. I know I, I have <laughs> that desire sometimes right. too, but sometimes there's, there's an optimum where you can generate, right. uh, who the heck was it? I don't remember now, but I was somebody like, oh yeah. Well, I know of a person who they have like 200 acres, I think, and roughly, uh, and then some pasture as well. And they have 50 cows and on the acres, they have maybe 50 acres in corn, 50 acres in soybeans, 50 acres in a small grain underseeded with alfalfa and 50 acres on second year alfalfa. And they do a rotation on those 200 acres of crops, essentially rotating okay. them. And then they have 50 cows and the pasture for those 50 cows and the 50 acres of hay makes just enough hay for the 50 cows plus their grass okay. finishers. Okay. And it's okay. like on 200 acres with 50 cows, they've got this just perfect little system of producing just enough crops and just enough hay for their cows. And then they direct market the meat and they're thriving. And it's like, we don't need to be 2000 awesome. acres or 20,000 yeah. acres to make a living. And it's just yeah. him exactly. and his wife and and it's yep. like, yeah, this, this works and this can right. work at, at a smaller and, you know, there's scale. There's definitely other venues that you could, I mean, that's, that's the beauty about farming, you know, granted here it is corn and soybeans, but I'm like, yeah. it's like a canvas where you, you know, why don't we use more than two colors? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you know, there's definitely things that we would like to try. Um, for example, to make a little more income, this is just total brainstorm within like we had Husker harvesters last week mm -hmm. and that's where we got the, the hay thing, yeah. um, the hay feed, but you could convert that round bale and unroll it, put it into small squares. And we have organic certified organic alfalfa. So you mm -hmm. could make a lot more by selling small squares yeah. to like the Omaha market where they want it for their goats or their rabbits, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. So I'm like, I think that's a total market that we should look into is re, you know, maybe repackaging some of these nice big mm -hmm. squares that we have in a shed. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely, you just got to put your thinking cap on a little bit yeah. and think outside the box yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're willing to look beyond what everyone yeah. else is doing, there's yeah. a world full of opportunity. It is. And even just, mm -hmm. you know, inviting people to your home, say, let's learn how to make broth i'm going to be doing that in january so i'm selling tickets for a hundred dollars and i put it out for literally two hours and i got almost 10 spots filled wow, you know and cool. so like that would be like an extra a little bit of income yeah. that really is just um you know prepping your we're going to do how to do it at our kitchen and having like a stew with cheesy grits like a meal fellowship yeah. Cool. I mean, it's something you can do that takes a little bit of labor on your end, but I'm already in the kitchen. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And something like that. I mean, if you start building this brand of, yeah. you know, kind of food training type things, you do one a month, then I mean, right. yeah, there's revenue. People, people want to know how to cook. They just don't know yeah. where to go because we've lost that art of cooking, mm -hmm. cooking yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah. 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 
Absolutely. I love it. That's, that's a super cool idea. Um, hmm, cool. Yeah. Uh, what else haven't I asked you about that's worth talking about? Uh, let's see. I guess if I could tell people that have young children um, that are mm-hmm. growing up on a farm. I'm listening. Just your, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just letting your kids be involved in your decision making, mm-hmm. even though you're not like relying on them. They have they have feelings about what you're doing. And so yeah. you know, even if it's just so much as saying, you know, you have a son and you're thinking about purchasing this or what do we do? You know, you know, you could take it with a grain of salt, but what they say, but at least you're feeling like they, they add value to the farm. Yeah, It's just not, you know, I'm just here existing, but they're actually a part of the whole. And that's the one thing I've loved about the farm life is just, uh, well, and I guess to be a, an owner, cause I am finding out we were talking to a younger couple last Saturday that wanted some advice. And the difference is that he's going to work for a farmer Mm-hmm. So it's gone. So then how does he balance that with then coming home to his wife and young baby where he's not getting home till like nine or 10. And I'm like, that's just, you have to, I told him you have to decide what you want to be doing in five years, you know, mm-hmm. and are you going to want to branch off and make your own family? Cause as an owner, you're more free to implement your children into yeah. the whole uh, farming experience. You know, like mm-hmm. I could kids on the combine and go get lunch and you know the our kids would be on you know with their dad so just enabling them to see dad during the day and and having meals around the table Mm -hmm. you know it takes takes work but the meal time is what keeps you keeps your kids together and so many people have lost that everybody's just running their own you know not only do they run their own ways but then they come to the table and they're not even eating the same thing. Hmm. And there's just something about the community of eating the same thing. Even if your kids don't like it, it's not about them. It's about coming together and communing and fellowshipping and tasting the same thing and sitting there with a conversation that they have to sit through because none of our kids were excused from the table until everybody was done. Everybody's mm-hmm. finished talking. I used to have this thing where like, you know, no TV talk, no, no phones, no movie talk. <laughs> but now then the kids got older. It seems like that's all <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you talk about, but just when they're little, you know, you got to work at making a family mm-hmm. and a farming is just a perfect landscape for that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because a lot of and I'm sure it comes down to how intentional you are about making farming part of the family thing, because a lot of families that farm drive children away. Uh, yes. And, and that's the thing it is you have to be intentional. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of farms that can't be as fortunate as I was and say, Hey, I'm, I'm a partner. I know a, a lot of times a, a wife will work off site, but mm-hmm. I'm talking to those that are home with their husband you have to be intentional about getting that family around the table and getting them to be involved in their, their, their father's lives and the father being involved in their life. I mean, it's all work. It doesn't just happen, mm-hmm. but it is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, family is, I've always considered 
one of God's greatest blessings is family. (laughs) It's not how we like it, but my parents are both remarried and I got bonus families and all sorts of siblings. And it's, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And, um, and you know, the kids will bark about having to help and, you know, it's not been rosy. (laughs) Yeah. One time our kids, I don't know, it was just stress, high stress, trying to work cattle or trying to load them and, you know, so again, we don't have like permanent work area stations either. So we always have to have to reinvent the wheel every yeah. time we're going cattle. And uh, I don't know, it was just like high temper, high short. And one of our kids that were in high school kind of smarted off, which I did not hear, but I think my husband had had it and they, <laughs> they were going at it. They ended up screaming at him. I yelled, I quit. And I go marching off to the house and Ryan and my husband yells, well, if you're going to quit, you might as well get lunch. (laughs) (laughs) I did, but I knew that coming together for lunch and we all sat down and the air was, you could cut it. It was so thick, but you know, it made us sit there and talk it out. So, you know, if I didn't make that lunch, I don't know if we would. (laughs) Yeah. Best oh, remember, I've quit so many times. <laughs> One year it was pre-harvest. I'm like, just so you know, I am not helping this year. And yeah. what do I? I'm helping. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Drive, I drive the grain cart. I load the cart at the, you know, with the grain men and take loads mm. into the elevator. And but I will not drive the combine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Well, there's all the shirts of don't judge me based on what I say, working cattle and stuff like that. (laughs) Those can be some high tension times. It's like, oh, like I remember my dad loved cattle, but man, he'd get so angry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's funny. Wow. Well, I I really appreciate the sharing of of the family piece. That's something that's because it it really is. It can be one of the coolest pieces of this business of this you know, this farming thing is the fact that we can engage family in it. But if, if you don't, or if you choose to, or if you almost make it the thing that divides family, I'm too busy to come home for dinner. I'm too busy to stop. I'm too busy to talk. I'm too busy to whatever. I mean, there's always an excuse. Uh, It can be the very thing that drives families apart. Yeah. Or just take the time. I mean, make a cup of coffee and bring it out to your husband. He's in the combine, you know, or Mm -hmm. just, just the little things. Yes. Help. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you for bringing that up. That was a great, great thing to share. Um, I, I'm Again, I'm over, you know, I'm 56. So, you know, I've done, you know, I'm looking at it differently, but yeah, I know that I intentionally, even when our kids are in town, gather up the kids, pack yeah. them all, spread out a blanket. Let's take a few minutes from harvest and eat together. Yes. Yes. But your husband also has to be you know, I grew up with a dad, we're a Swedish community and we had breakfast and then at nine 30, we stopped for coffee and then we mm-hmm. had dinner, not lunch at noon. And then at three 30, we stopped for coffee and then we had supper and then we had more coffee before bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was very table centered. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So Not always made I'm, the big lunch. So, yeah, I, I was just glancing at my, my kind of app here that tells me some of my analytics and, and 85% of my listeners are male and, and I oh, yeah. can't control that, but I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> but, and most of them are young. Uh, I, I think uh, I could look that up here too. Uh, like under 35 type age, yeah, like 60, 70% yeah. or something are under 35. So, I mean, what does that mean for the young 
father, young husband, that if you were to speak to them as somebody who's raised mm-hmm. kids on a farm and with the, with your family and stuff, I mean, what should they do? What are the things that they can do to make, uh, to be a better, more present father and husband from your perspective? Well, I think if you love your wife, the kids will feel it. And that, you know, your, your home will be happier because when you loving your wife, you know, whether that's, so just Ryan did not grow up like a major coffee consumer, but I mm-hmm. love coffee. So he has, we've always gotten up together <clears throat> and granted that was just a time for us to not have the kids with us all the time, mm-hmm. but we've mm-hmm. always gotten up early to have that cup of coffee in the morning. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had, we, we listened to like usually a John Piper quick five minute podcast, pray together, say, what do you, you know, what do you, what do you need prayer for today? And just taking time to invest in each other. Cause when you're investing in each other, then your kids will feel the calm, you know, mm. feel that you guys are united. But, um, as far as them getting the kids involved, it's really when they're little, it's actually up to the wife, I think mm. to get the kids involved. Cause mm. you can't expect your husband to nurture the kids when he's got, you know, 200 acres of corn to plant Yeah, yeah. her bringing them out to, you know, to the tractor mm-hmm. and, and just bringing the kids, have them be a part of them. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people, or I've seen people that they are working and then, you know, they send their kids to daycare totally fine. But then those days that they have off, they still send the kids to daycare. And I think it's because they don't want to lose their spot for the daycare. I just think that's sad when you don't involve, you still send them to the daycare when you're home, like they should be part of the operation. I kind of have to, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, we always are changing our thinking, but it just kind of, it just seems like in every facet of our world today, we separate the kids from the adults. And I'm not sure that's a great idea. I think the kids need to learn how to listen to adult conversations, you know, mm-hmm. even with church, with the nursery, you know, I'm like, Oh, no, no, I might be changing my thoughts about the whole nursery church. Because <laughs> yeah, it's important to be at worship and know what, you know, kids are part of worship just as much as adults are part of worship. Um, so I don't know. So it just, I don't know if you can really ask the husband to integrate more effect. Unless he's, you know, I, we don't like working at night. We don't, we don't run our combines late at night. Figure you get tired. It's what's there's no uh the risks are too high. You just go home, get some sleep, and you know what? It'll get done. And one thing we've never done is we have never worked on Sundays. So that might be something you would want me maybe want to consider because I don't really think you get that much ahead. Mm-hmm. I think God yeah. gave us rest for a reason and and that's maybe a way you can yeah. re uh, acclimate with your kids or re what do you call it? Integrate with your kids. And yeah. 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 And it's really rest you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. That's right. He knew what he was doing when he took a day of rest. Yeah. yeah. I love that. There's some, um, there's some beef company. I cannot think of, they have a, they have them all over and one's in Omaha and that's the guy's motto. He's not open on Sundays because mm-hmm. his, Grandpa was a pioneer hmm. heading out west. They always stopped on Sundays to rest. People would go by them, keep hmm. going. And then he realized that he would pass 
the people that didn't rest because they were so worn out. Wow. <laughs> the cattle were worn out, the oxen were worn out, the horses were worn out. Yeah. It's hmm. just something about that rest. We yeah. all, all need it. Cool. Yeah. That's a cool story. Get that, <laughs> that guilt-free nap. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Bible says it's okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's four yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I, I know there's, I've read or heard there. I know there's studies out there that talk about the benefits of uh, dinners with family. And if yeah. you eat X amount of dinners per family, your kids are this much less likely to end up in jail or whatever they are, right. different things like right. that. And, and then the, well, and just learning manners, learning yeah. how to uh, put others before themselves, learning yeah. how to pass the food, wait, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. just a lot going around the table. Cool. This has been fantastic. There's two questions I, I want to ask you here before we wrap up. Uh, the first one is, and, and you mentioned the Joel Salatin books, so maybe remind me of that, but are there any other two, three uh, more recommendations of resources, books, conferences, conventions, things that you think wow. were super valuable to you that you'd recommend people check out? Okay. Um, okay. Well, they've been out for a while, but I've really enjoyed the third plate. I can't think what his name is, so... And then, um, but Dan, somebody, he was a chef back in New York. He started the actual first restaurant to farm table. Okay. I can't think the third plate. It's really good. Um, I've always liked salad bar beef by Joel Salatin and folks this ain't normal. Um, but the one that I'm reading right now is by Francis Schaefer and it's called, uh, pollution and the death of man. And it's an old 1966 book, but it's, just as pertinent today it was was back then but basically it's about ecology and you know to get people to understand that cows were created for um consumption is you know it's about pantheism and pantheism is a thought that man and animal are equal whereas you know we have to be good stewards with the land because one thing we do have in common with nature and animal is that God created us all. He created nature. He created um, animals, insects, and he created humans. But the difference is that he created. So the pantheistic view would have that all in one bucket. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a pantheistic view that so many people have today is that the animal is the same as human and they're and they're throwing animal human feelings onto that animal mm-hmm. but the difference is is that god has created man in god's image but not the animal so that's what separates us mm-hmm. so that's why we want to steward well because we are part of nature but yet we are doing it with knowing that we are god's imitators and how do we imitate god well on our farm, hmm. you know, cool. so that's, it's just a really good book. Yeah. You know, I know how to, and that's, I don't think we're ever going to come to a conclusion of trying to get people to change their mind. If you're yeah. thinking that, you know, you animal murderer and, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's because their foundation is off. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have a biblical foundation, you, you can't talk. You it's, can't talk. It's no. hard to argue a vegan argument from without a kind of a Christian base yeah. argument. I mean, if, if you really, if there is no separation between humans and, and animals, that's hard to, <laughs> then right. yeah. Or not. there is no God who yeah. created all with 
order and a reason and sin yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's a good book. If you cool. want to just learn about how that side thinks, it's yeah. a good one. I'll have to check that out. Cool. And what was the Joel book, the Salatin book you rec- that your your friend recommended you at the beginning? Uh, Family Friendly Farming. I think Family. it was one of Joel Salatin's first books. Okay, cool. And then um, You Can Farm is another one. You Can Farm. Yeah, cool. Uh, then last question is just where can people find you? And yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, on Instagram and Facebook, it's just Too Good Grass-Fed Beef because it's our last name. It's perfect. It's an awesome name. (laughs) That is too perfect. (laughs) And then TooGoodFarm.com is our website. Cool. Yeah, it's my husband's last name and they were all Finns. And then they got here, I guess, to New York and there are too many Finns. So they changed it to to Too Good. (laughs) Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is this yeah. has been really enjoyable. It's been yeah, great to get really to know you. And, you too. Yeah, yeah, and you have a beautiful family, and I follow. Thank you. Your wife on Instagram, and yes, yes you take care of those littles. I will. I, I will. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Faro Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Faro Cattle Company at farocattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.